Good morning, goddesses. This is Shannon, and I'm your host, and this is the Goddess Morning Show podcast, where you can tune in every morning for a 20-minute episode to start your day with updates on things that matter to a community of awake and conscious individuals who seek the divine feminine in all we do. We sift through all of the copious amounts of information on the internet to bring you news and information on the things that matter. Tune in to hear about environmental news and book releases, interviews with thought leaders influencing the awakening of humanity, the moon phases, planetary positions, crystals, herbal and holistic health, guidance on green living, just to name a few. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to now. Be blessed. Namaste. Good morning, gods and goddesses. Today is January 27th. It is Monday, and we are starting your week out with the news that matters most to us as a community. I'm Shannon. I'm your host, and this is the Goddess Morning Podcast. Uh, Thank you again for joining me. I am here Monday through Friday with these episodes to help you get your day started. And the first Uh, article that we are talking about today is a report out that says living near green spaces can reduce the risk of dementia, a study finds. And this is from Mind Body Green by Abby Moore. She says neurological conditions including Alzheimer's disease, dementia, Parkinson's, and multiple sclerosis affect more than 1 billion people worldwide, according to a report from the United Nations. While there is no cure for these disorders, new research has found another way to protect against them. The study published in the journal Environmental Health found living near green spaces can lower the risk of developing certain neurological conditions. Researchers from the University of British Columbia studied more than 670,000 adults living more than 50 yards from a major road or more than 160 yards from a major highway. They found living near major highways led to a 14% increase in non-Alzheimer's, dementia, and Parkinson's disease, while living near green spaces lowered the risk of those same two disorders. Okay, that's interesting. And uh, cardiologist Joel Kahn, MD, says that an intro to the five Tibetan rites can boost heart health. He says he's been doing yoga for over 20 years, but unfortunately a busy career as a cardiologist has kept him away from the 60 to 90 minute study studio practices that he used to love. And a year ago, he was introduced to quick yoga practice reported to be over 2,500 years old called the five Tibetan rites. After viewing a few videos and reading a short book, he started to engage in the 15-minute sequence every morning, whether at home or on the road, and he kept up the habit for a year and made interesting observations along the way. And it says, what are the five Tibetan rites? The five Tibetan rites, also known as the Fountain of Youth, are a series of five, sometimes six, exercises meant to be repeated 21 times. They are thought to increase mobility and flexibility and help the body stay nimble as we age. Increased energy and feelings of calmness, mental clarity, 
greater spinal flexibility, better sleep, weight loss, healthier digestion, and improved libido have also been associated with the practice. In addition to these benefits, research has also emerged suggesting that the flexibility of our spine predicts the flexibility of arteries. Therefore, a yoga practice centered on spine flexibility, like the Tibetans, may help keep our arteries in a youthful state. And I am going to attach a link in the show notes for how to do the five Tibetan rites. And um, you can read on more about that. Okay. So, um, another article says, um, a study in Japan, researchers evaluated 526 adults ranging in age from 20 to 83 years old to sit and reach their toes, a measure of spinal flexibility, Spinal flexibility predicted arterial youthfulness independent of overall fitness and muscular strength. So it says stretching exercises improve arterial flexibility. And going back to the other article, the doctor, the cardiologist says that after one year of practicing the five Tibetans, it did indeed improve his arterial health. It says um, he used a simple device developed by a physician who is interested in yoga to measure and track his arterial flexibility reported out as arterial age. The device measures the stiffness of the aorta, which is known to predict both heart disease and dementia later in life. Aortic stiffness has been shown to improve with both walking and stress reduction during his year. His arterial age dropped from the low 50s, and he's 58 years old, to the low 20s. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. He says he wakes up without back pain or stiffness and work all day long without back complaints. In his anti-aging cardiology practice, the goal is always to maintain a youthful body, mind, and spirit. And to the Tibetan rites make up one practice with measurable results that he now recommends to patients to help them do just that. And again, his name is Joel Kahn, K-A-H-N-M-D. And he's the founder of the Kahn Center for Cardiac Longevity. It's pretty interesting. All right. Um, The sun is in Aquarius today. The moon is in Pisces. The Mercury is in Aquarius, Venus is in Pisces, Mars is in Sagittarius, Jupiter in Capricorn, Saturn in Capricorn, Uranus is in Taurus, Neptune is in Pisces, and Pluto is in Capricorn. Okay, and we are, since we are in Aquarius, um, it's the sign of the humanitarian. The visionary, the one who seeks to rework social institutions and wants to collaborate in community in order to make the world a better place. We are living in the Aquarian age, so we are naturally attuned to all the positive potentials that Aquarius wants to bring forth. The new moon in Aquarius, um, uh, yesterday or the day before, opened up a potent and catalyzing three-day window 
in which you can plant the seeds for the healing of our society. That's a very, very good thing to do. Okay, now moving on, we have a do-it-yourself baking soda shampoo. This is Try This Clarifying Hair and Scalp Wash by Kirsten Nunez. And it says, make your mix with baking soda and water. To make your do-it-yourself shampoo, you'll need one part baking soda and three parts cool or lukewarm water. Steer clear of hot. If you have shoulder length hair, use two to three tablespoons of baking soda and six to nine tablespoons of water. If you have shorter or longer hair, adjust the ingredients accordingly. Mix the ingredients in a small bowl until they form a thick paste. Some shampooers like to add a few drops of essential oil. Pour the mixture into a clean and empty bottle. An old travel size shampoo bottle is perfect for the job. Use a funnel to make this step easier. And once you've washed it in and uh, rinsed it out, it's recommended that you follow it up with an apple cider vinegar rinse to help seal the hair follicles. Okay, now moving on to an article in Pathios on January 21st by Melissa Hill. She has written an invocation to the fire goddesses that are honored this time of year as we move into the um, time between winter solstice and um, the spring equinox. Like if you divided those in half, um, we're going to be at that point on February 2nd. And so fire goddesses are honored um, such as Bridget, and um, she's also with other fire goddesses in this invocation. So I'm just going to read it out loud, and then I'll go on to talk about the different fire goddesses. So the invocation goes, We call to Bridget, triple sister of hearth, healing, and smithing. She who lights the Celtic night and blesses each beautiful morning. The light of the fire blesses us all. We call to Vesta, empire's center, aloof and alone, attended by priestesses kept and separate from the life of matron and child. The light of the fire blesses us all. We call to Seguin, patient one, holding the bowl unending. You chose to stay when you could have gone. The gift you give unbending. The light of the fire blesses us all. We call to Gabija, winged one, garbed in red and flowing clothes, messenger of the god. You became the flame tender and tended as one. The light of the fire blesses us all. We call to Hestia, eldest one, Olympian, unmarried to anyone, claiming none but the land gifted to you is the first and the last. The light of the fire blesses us all. Okay, and now some details about the fire goddesses. Each of the, these goddesses is connected to a theme of tending the sacred fire. All of them are European in origin. Brigid is Celtic, Vesta is Roman, Seguin is Norse, Gabija is Lithuanian, and Hestia is Greek. 
and it might be, I might be pronouncing the Norse goddess incorrectly. It's S-I-G-Y-N. It might be Sigyn, Sigyn maybe. Um, so I apologize if I offended anyone and that's their patron deity, but I'm going to go on with the article. So fire goddesses in the European tradition are almost always fire tenders. That means they take care of the fire. Usually they aren't actually the fire itself. Most often the fire is a masculine deity or is not deified at all. You see this with Agni, the Vedic fire god, and Agnes, who was subsumed into Gabija in the Lithuanian. Sagin, goddess of compassion and fire tending. This is what I believe from my own research. And... Yes, I have heard all the arguments. This is my hill to die on, the writer writes. I also believe Loki is the Norse god of fire. Sagin is the wife of Loki, who betrays Odin and is eventually chained under the earth. It was actually this moment that was the clincher for me. Skadi, who is the goddess of winter, is said to have hung a venomous snake above Loki's head. Sigin or Sigyn, Sigyn, stays with Loki and holds a bowl to catch the venom to ease his suffering. So we know that the Norse love kennings or word puzzles. If I was to make a kenning for an icicle, I would call it skatey snake. Wouldn't you? And if I was a god of fire, what would be more venomous than the water dripping from skatey snake? This sets Sigyn squarely as the fire-tending goddess and that's exactly what she's doing when she holds the bowl. And it says fire and ice are the creation of the cosmos in North, Norse mythology. Brigid, or Brigid, triple goddess of smithing, healing, and poetry. She was a saint after she was a goddess and is still beloved by many. Her fires burn at Kildare, tended by nuns who function as human representations of the fire goddesses of old, tending the flame. Brigid is incredibly popular, right up there with Odin and Morrigan, the Morrigan. In my experience with her, she is both stern and graceful, powerful but kind. In the Celtic tradition, she is seen as the flame itself, as well as guarding the flame. Vesta and Hestia are Hestia are very similar as the fire-tending goddesses of Rome and Greece, which means they are both are perpetually young, both are virgin goddesses, and in a pre-married state. It was assumed that all women would eventually get married. The hearth was the center of the home and the world. It was literally the center of Rome. This is Gabija is Lith Lithuanian goddess of fire. She is both the fire-tender and the flame, similar to Brigid. I believe this is because of the way the Lithuanian language functions. Agnes was likely the original fire god who was separate from Gabija. The thing with Lithuanian is that in poetry and song, and darn near everything as far as I can tell, they add endings to make things cute. That's right, cute, adorable, and feminine. Okay, and it goes on to say that there was some transformations later of those names. All right. And the next article we're going to talk about is how the sacral chakra's shadow could be keeping you from your soulmate. 
This is naturopathic doctor and nurse practitioner Erica Matluck says the sacred shadow, the shadow of the sacral chakra is denial. This is a tricky wound to work with because to be in denial is also to be unaware that you are in denial. It's a blind spot. What we are unable to see is that our lives are a series of reactions driven by our feelings. We want more of the things that feel good. Think joy, pleasure, serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin. And less of the things that feel bad. Think anxiety, sadness, cortisol, and adrenaline. All of our actions in life are propelled by the desire for pleasure and avoidance of pain. It is a vicious cycle of craving and aversion. This is more about emotion than sensation. But either way, our tolerance for discomfort is minimal. The wound of denial is the seed of addiction. Relationship conflicts, disappointed love, people-pleasing behavior, and a slew of unhealthy habits. Denial arises in childhood as the emotion body develops. When we're young, feelings can be intense and minutes can feel like eternity. So we're that much more reactive. We instinctively want to feel good, so we adapt our behaviors to create more dopamine hits and less discomfort. But even the pleasurable feelings are impermanent, so we get stuck in a cycle that never ends. We're either running away from discomfort or trying to create more pleasure. Ultimately, every important decision in our lives is driven by this until we become aware of it. Healing this wound is about learning to sit with discomfort. It's about not reacting to pain or sadness, but letting the feelings move through us with ease. It's about cultivating equanimity and understanding that this too shall pass. And oh my gosh, that is my mantra. This too shall pass. It says physical signs of the sacral chakra's shadow. In her private practice, the most common wound she sees is the sacral chakra shadow. And it's the sacral energy is about connection and partnership. So this wound drives us to connect regardless of the cost. This is when we settle for a romantic partner that isn't the right match because being single feels too lonely or uncomfortable. Some of us spend hours swiping on dating apps we despise because we're too anxious to wait for the serendipitous encounter we've always dreamed of. We may stay in a relationship with someone we no longer love because we cannot bear to break their heart. Or perhaps we agree to a business collaboration that isn't aligned with our future goals because we don't want to disappoint the other party. This is what it looks like to live in the shadow of the sacral chakra. Every action is an attempt to avoid or escape discomfort. Every action is a reaction. To heal the wound of denial, we must move from reaction to stillness. This is the gift of the sacral chakra is stillness. When we become still, we are no longer controlled by fleeting feelings and sensations. In the stillness, energy is freed to create with intention. Whether we are creating babies, products, businesses, or movements, our creativity is meant for nothing less than a masterpiece. Stillness also allows us to wait for the right partners to enter our lives. This is where we meet our soulmates, people who can best support us in fulfilling our purpose. Here are three exercises to support sacral chakra healing, and I will put the link 
to that below in the show notes. Okay, and the next article is on crystal healing, the theory, how to use crystal healing for anxiety and stress by Claire Chamberlain on Net Doctor. It says crystals are naturally occurring rock formations that have ex- existed on Earth for a millennia. And people have been championing the little shards, championing the little shards of color and light for their mystical healing powers for almost as long. But how do they work? The theory behind working with stones comes back to Einstein's theory of energy, E equals MC squared, explains Amy Carlton, master NLP practitioner, development coach, and energy worker. Everything moves, everything has an oscillation and a vibration. With that in mind, the stone has a vibration and a frequency. We also have a vibration and a frequency. We actually have many because each body part has a different vibration and frequency. Each stone vibrates at a very specific frequency. When we come into contact with something that has a similar vibration to us but a higher frequency, it helps to take our own frequency higher. We realign with the frequency of the stone. And when we're at a higher frequency, we feel better in health, we have more energy, and we experience more flow. So when we're out of alignment and our frequency is lower, we can rebuild our health and our feelings of wellness by spending time within a frequency that is higher. It's like a chemical reaction. Our frequency rises to align with the frequency of the stone. Okay. And the Sunday Times writer David McCann published an article Today, stating that particle pollution leads to deaths of hundreds of Scots. More than 1 in 29 deaths in Scotland's largest cities and towns can be linked to long-term exposure to air pollution, a think tank has claimed. Edinburgh has the highest proportion of pollution-related fatalities. That is very interesting. Um, And that article came out today, I believe. And in another article from Vox.com, Sharon Gaffrey writes, Hundreds of Amazon employees plan to risk their jobs this week by violating company policy. Workers say Amazon threatened to fire employees who criticized its environmental policies. Now they're planning to speak out on Moss. And that was written today. I'm sorry, uh, yesterday, Sunday, January 26th. And Sarah Sloat in Inverse wrote that neuroimaging studies show that meditation literally changes the brain for better. Meditation is nothing new. It's a fixture of many relations. This has been a practice for thousands of years. However, scientific understanding of how meditation changes the body is ever-increasing. Some studies indicate that meditation can physically change the brain and body, capable of reducing blood pressure, symptoms of anxiety and depression, and insomnia. But it's perhaps the changes to the brain that meditation can induce that are most striking. In 2011, researchers reported in a psychiatry research neuroimaging that eight weeks of engaging in an average of 27 minutes a day of meditation results in differences in the brain. I'm not, they're talking about like literally physical differences that can be imaged on MRIs. And it says the study included two groups of people who had never meditated and one 
continued to not meditate while the other was put into mindfulness-based stress reduction program at the University of Massachusetts Center for Mindfulness. And that is wonderful research that can back up what we all already know, and maybe more people will get on board. Okay, so mantras that this um, writer wrote in quartz, um, use these mantras to start, power through, and finish your day by Ifrit Lavini. And the first mantra is, I quit the experiment. And it says, subjects of Stanford studies could escape voluntary incarceration simply by saying, I quit the experiment. And now he uses that formulation whenever he needs to escape the prison of his thinking. So say he makes a mistake in a story, which causes him great dis dismay and can prompt him to wince for weeks, months, or even years after the error has been corrected. Now he forces himself to move on by using the phrase, I quit the experiment. I love that. That's really good. And then the other mantra is that he's been using longest and the one he repeats before he goes to sleep is based on an explanation of the writings of the Taoist sage Chong Zhu on presence given by the British philosopher Alan Watts, who demystified Eastern philosophy for Westerners in the 20th century. No regrets for the past, no fear for the future. Letting life take its course without attempting to interfere with its changes and movements, neither prolonging pleasure nor hastening the departure of difficulties. I love that. That is so zen. I love that. And the last one was peace in the empire. A timeless source of wisdom and therefore possible mantras is the Dao Di Dao Si Ching, the Chinese philosophical texts. It's a tense and mysterious work that can be perplexing, but it's replete with gems, and one of them is this bit, which is my truncated version of a stanza shortened to serve my purposes. Cease to desire and be still, and peace shall come to the empire of its own accord. So this is his morning mantra. Now you may think that ceasing to desire before the day even begins is no way to get going or to win but he likes it because it liberates him from expectations. It reminds him to focus on the things that need doing, his responsibilities, instead of wasting time wishing for particular outcomes. That's good. Okay, and we have 10 best documentaries on living sustainably, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. This is an article by Danville Marshall, on January 16th of this year. It says sustainability is a huge topic for the modern world. Internationally, it seems like the pollution we've done to the planet is coming back to haunt us. And it's more than just a trend. It's our planet is reacting to our impact and becoming less hospitable. Living in harmony with our planet has become a topic of avid study. The ways we live and how we think about resources needs to change in order for us to go on. When it comes to things like where our food comes from, where our trash goes, and how we travel, every person is faced with daily choices. 
Documentaries have always been a quick and popular way to share and learn information. Given an increased interest in sustainable living, more and more people are creating and watching informative films on the topic. Not all documentaries are created equal. The best ones deftly balance data and emotional appeals. This list includes those that make the biggest impact with objective facts. And again, I'll put this list in the the show notes because we're running a little bit long today. So number 10, the name of the documentary is True Cost. We're counting down from 10 to 1. Number 9, the name is Earthlings. Number 8 is Before the Flood. Number 7, An Inconvenient Truth. Number 6, More Than Honey. Number 5, A Plastic Ocean. Number four, Cowspiracy. Number three, Minimalism. Number two, Chasing Coral. Number one is Tomorrow. All right. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. I'm going to try to put these out Monday through Friday. I take the weekends off in case you're wondering why the last two days there wasn't one. Please have a wonderful, healthy, blessed, safe day. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Namaste. This episode of the Goddess Morning Show is brought to you by From Ashes We Rise To.com, where you can get wellness coaching using holistic methods of healing. Purchase our handcrafted, custom-blended, organic, non-GMO herbal teas that are crafted with love, and also order hand-poured soy candles infused with love and pure essential oils and herbs to heal using aromatherapy. Visit our website at fromasheswerise2.com. That's fromasheswerise with the number 2.com to read more about these products and services. Have a blessed day.